Why don't you stand with me one more time, take your Bibles and look, turn to Luke chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 20 and then we'll kind of jump off from there as we take a look at Christmas and the scriptures. Christmas and the scriptures. We have no Christmas outside of the Bible. There really isn't a Christmas outside the Bible. So we want to hear this and then we'll, we'll spend time throughout the story of the birth of Christ and the coming of Christ. Follow along as we read this a blessed event. Luke chapter two, starting verse one. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken to all the inhabitants, or the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken by Quinarius, the governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judah, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in claws and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord stood, uh, suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, that you will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with, an, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and, they, and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the babe as he laid in the manger and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the Christ. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were being told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as has been told them. You may be seated. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord, the time to look into the incarnation, the birth of God in the manger called to Jesus Emmanuel. What an amazing thing it is, Lord, to uh, ponder the fact that our Lord is now on the earth. The creator of all is now on the earth. So Lord, cause our hearts to worship. Cause us to be joyful today cause us not to be able to hold this message in. May it be shared like a light on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen. The story is awesome, isn't it? Just to read it. Just to hear terms like good news, great joy, for all people. What a statement. 
for all people. In this text, God was thinking of you. Isn't that amazing? Verse 10 says, I bring you good news. Ulangelion, the gospel, is the word there. Good news, and, and not with just a, you know, hey, this is happening. <laughs> with what? Do you have it? Do you have great joy? That's what the gospel does for you. It causes great joy. And then it's for all peoples. You have to remember, this was a very drastic change than what the Jews had thought. Even here, God is preparing the word that's gonna go out to the apostles to all peoples. It had been God of Israel, God of Abraham. And now he says, even in the birth of Christ, he's gonna go to all peoples, this good news. Do you remember back in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, it says, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. You remember that passage? Set in a, a, a little bit of a strange passage in the fact that we don't really always study the context there, but the prophecy is for Ahaz, and, and what we understand from that is there's a telescopic prophecy there. Ahaz was gonna have another son, but it was a coming of a virgin. <laughs> so the prophecy was more telescopic. It was looking down the road, and I want you to just think about just that little phrase that Isaiah said there, for a child is born to us. We love that little phrase. But listen to the last phrase of that. A son is given to us. That really struck me this week. It's a gift. It's the greatest gift mankind could ever have that God the Father gave his son, God in flesh, dwelling among us to rescue the lost. What a gift. If you never got another gift the entire life and you know Jesus Christ is your savior, you have the greatest gift. He gave it. Christ was not only born, he was given if you remember anything today, remember that. He was not only born and added human nature to his deity, he was a gift to you, given to you. We call this the incarnation of God. A hypostatic union of God is the theological term where God and man reside in one person. Eternal God, creator God, everlasting God now has added flesh to his nature. What a beautiful story it is. In fact, it's the greatest gift God could ever give was he gave himself to you. Think about that. The greatest gift, the greatest thing he could ever do for you is give himself to you. And we'll talk about what that meant as we unfold these texts. Think about this, because Jesus is co-equal, co-essential, co-substance, shares the same substance with God, this means God is in the manger. This isn't, this isn't just a person that the Spirit indwelled, as some heretical teach, truths teach. This is God in the manger. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, face to face, in full equality, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, His glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. John says, we beheld Him. We knew who we were looking at. He's using the same terminology Moses said when he was in the cleft of the rock before the Almighty on the mount. He's in, he's here with us. So Christ's incarnation is for us. 
It's a life birthed. It's a life raised. It's a life lived. It's a life died. And it's a life resurrected. So you and I will have eternal life. But yet Christ entered a very fallen world. Imagine what he came to. He came to a world that he created for his glory. And it had been crushed by sin. We live in a beautiful spot. If you've had any time to travel, we live in a beautiful world. And yet, we don't really see it as God made it. Sin has devastated much. Sin has devastated our own health and our life. And here comes the Lord. He doesn't come riding in on a white charger and coming into Jerusalem and being born there with much fanfare. He is born in a humble state. You know the phrase. Your dad probably said it to you when you left the door open. What, are you born in a barn? Jesus could say that, in a sense, right? <laughs> Maybe a lean-to on the side of a, uh, an inn. Where's the family? I have lots of questions that I want to know. Where's the family? Where, where are they? They're, they're all there. Joseph's in line of long family. Mary's family. They're all coming back to Bethlehem. Jews did not allow family to stay in inns. Those were not appropriate. They, even today, they're very family-oriented. This is scandalous. This is a woman pregnant outside of wedlock. And here they are, born in a barn, in a humble state. And as you just ponder that, the one who says, as Colossians teaches us, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke, he spoke that, and it happened, is laying in a manger. Because it was the only way to save you and I. See, Christmas is so much more than trees and wrappings and shopping and all those things. It is the birth of our dear Savior. There's so many phenomenal players within the Christmas story here, and I want to take time just to look at some of them briefly on your outline. I think there's four or five points here, but I just want to go through this quickly, but just give us an overview of what this Christmas story looks like in this incarnation and those involved with it. Joseph and Mary have to be looked at. They are devoted to the glory of God, as you see on the first point. They're an amazing couple. And as you look at Luke chapter one, we find Mary and we find this angel coming to Mary. Verse 27 gives us this understanding that she was a virgin. She, she ha had never had relationship with a man. She was engaged. She was in this betrothal process. The Jewish world, there would be a betrothal and for a year they would be engaged. There was a ceremony then and then a concluding ceremony at the end of that year. They're in between that there. They're separated. They live, they live separately. Joseph is working on uh, arranging everything to bring her into his home. They are not to be together. And so we understand her here a little bit in verse 27. They're from the line of David. This is important. This is the fulfillment of scriptures. So the Lord is going to come through his human parents right down through David's line was promised all the way from the time of David. And then here comes Gabriel. He comes in the sixth month, which would have been Elizabeth's pregnancy of John the Baptist, to ensure that the heralder of John the Baptist would be born before Jesus, thus his ministry would begin before Jesus's. But in verse 28, the Bible says that the angel Gabriel, this is 
these uh, ranking angels, the guardian of the holiness of God, comes down, speaks to Mary, and says, greeting favored one. <laughs> what a statement. She's possibly 15, 16 years old. She's young. And this angel says, you're favored. And look at the last phrase. The Lord is with you. We handle Mary according to the scriptures. In her own words, she thanks God that she is, that he is her savior. She was a sinner like the rest of us. But yet there's something special about her. She had a longing for the glory of God. She loved the God of Israel. And that was noticed by God and noticed by angels who communicated the words of God. You are favored, you are graced. The word, the root word comes from that word grace, Chrysus. You're favored. Look at verse 30. The angel says, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. God looking at you, he's seeing your life. This is his ordained providential will and you are walking in it. He has chosen you. And you know the story here, you're, you're to conceive in your womb by the power of the most high, verse 32. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you, verse 35 will come upon you. Place this child, this holy one, this is the reference to Christ. It's probably not best translated in your Bible, child. Holy one is the word that, from the original. This holy one will be placed in your womb. What an amazing thing. Mary's wondering about this. And the angel says nothing will be impossible with God. And now look at verse 38. Look what Mary says. She's a young gal, but she loves God's glory. So her response to this life-altering news is, behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your will, word. I accept what you have for me, God. Do you realize what she was accepting? Turn over to Matthew chapter one. There's another person very much involved in this and it's hubby to be. My little gal has turned up pregnant in our betrothal period. He's wrestling with this. It says in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Tells us that period there, this engagement, this very sacred time for this young couple. Before they came together, before they knew each other physically, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, there's a statement about him, not wanting her disgraced, planned to send her away secretly. Joseph had two options here. One, I tell the family, they take her to the town square and the family stones her to death, period. 
They have a law written in the Old Testament that would be the punishment for it. Joseph loves this woman. He is pondering, he is worrying, he is, he's a godly man and he says, I don't, I don't know what happened. But look how he's trying to protect her even, even in maybe his false thinking of, of what happened, what my, my betrothed wife has come up pregnant. Notice verse 20 about Joseph. While he was considering this, the idea is he was wrestling, struggling. I would think there were prayer and, and anxiety over this. He falls asleep. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, meaning you're the one. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I could just see him going, whew. That was some level. But then you come to senses and you go, who's gonna believe that? Don't think people have changed. Don't think that when a pregnant woman walks down the street in her betrothal period that people weren't going, do you see what happened to Mary? Joseph is accepting something that is scandalous. The angel reminds him that this is one who is to be named Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. The gospel again is told to Joseph in this dream. This is, Christ is coming. He's gonna save man from his sins. And this is all to take place to fulfill the word of God, verse 22. And we sang several times, his name is to be Emmanuel, God with us. What are you gonna name him? Emmanuel. You're gonna name your pregnant wife's son out of wedlock, God with us? You know how well that must have went over? Look at verse 24. This is why you have to believe Joseph and Mary sought the glory of God. Joseph awakes from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin. Literally, it says, did not know her. Very intimate term. Until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph and Mary sought the glory of the Lord. They put their own ideals and what they had plans on the back burner, and they said, God, this is what you have for us. We accept it. See, that's what people who want the glory of the Lord do. And, and, and you just gotta marvel at these two and thank the Lord for them. Do you devote yourself to the glory of the Lord? That's a battle for us, isn't it? You don't know my job, Scott. Do you devote yourself to the glory of the Lord? Do you know what kind of relationship I'm in? Do you devote yourself to the glory of the Lord? See, God longs for us to devote ourselves to his glory and he allows us to do great things for him at times. Hebrews chapter 11 verse six says this great verse on this subject. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Man, did it take faith. Jo imagine Joseph waking up and thinking, that was a dream. It was really real. I really need to do this. 
He said, Lord, I believe you. I believe this is what you have for me. And he steps out in great faith and takes an impregnant woman as his wife because God told him to do it. The rest of the verse says this, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards those who diligently seek him. Mary in her own prayer, back in Luke chapter one, says that, that God has, at this time and for generations to come, bless me. Verse 48. Now worship me, bless me. Now, nobody knows when she says this prayer except Elizabeth and Joseph. And then as we read in Luke 2, they start the trail towards, towards Bethlehem. I have not been pregnant. I've watched my wife four times do it. We used to have to go over a pass, a dirt road pass to have the children born in Lakeview, Oregon from our ranch. And it was a switchback and washboardy and just a mess. And in between contractions, I would go as fast as I could and then she'd have a contraction, I'd back off. And we'd chattering over those <laughs> washboard can you imagine riding on a donkey? If they left with family, certainly they fell behind. But it appears that they have nobody there, there alone in this manger. And yet, they were consumed with the glory of God, so they accepted it. Doesn't that fit right into our Philippian series? Accept the circumstances God has given you and glorify him in them. Look at our second thought, the angels. I want to cover a lot of these different aspects of this. Second thought is the angels offer peace to man that only God could deliver. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2 of Luke. This lead angel, this this glory of the Lord shown around him, this angel of the Lord, this prominent angel of some sort comes. He's been in the presence of God, so it's not his glory that's shining off of him. It's because he's been with God. Do you get that? And then all of a sudden, verse 13, this ma massive host, it's, it's a possibly innumerable number of angels joined with this angel of the Lord. They too have been in the presence of God and so now you're glowing up this hillside with these shepherds and they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Angels are offering peace. I, I just think about what these angels have seen they are created beings. There is only one non-created, eternally existing, and that is our triune God. They have always existed in one person, one substance, and three persons. All angelic beings, principalities, and powers are all created by God. Most theologians see them being created very early on in chapter one of, in verse one and two of, of Genesis. Psalms chapter 103 tells us they witness the creation. So they're there watching creation happen. These angels saw God create. But they also saw a lot of other things. 
They saw Adam and Eve reject God's word. At some level, they were a witness to that. They saw Satan jealously go after the throne of God, him being kicked out and a third of the angels go with him. They saw the rejection of Adam and Eve. They see the murder of Abel. They see men start to set up themselves as their own gods in the Tower of Babel. They watched this nation that God took that didn't deserve to be the nation of God start worshiping creation rather than the creator. They watched this nation that God gave a promised land to, wiped out their enemies in front of them, gave them everything they needed, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they burned their babies to Baal. They saw all of that take place. Now, here they are on a hillside outside of Judea and outside of Bethlehem telling lowly shepherds that God is going to bring peace to those he is pleased in. <laughs> it's, just, it's amazing. These beings are incredibly powerful. If you study them, one angel wipes out 185,000 Assyrians in one night. And they're there saying, glory to God on the highest. They're reflecting his glory. They've been in his presence. God's bringing peace with man. I kind of want to talk to him someday. What was that like? You guys watched how wicked man could be, and yet you come bringing the message of the gospel that he's going to bring this in this war between God and man, and he's coming. And you didn't go to Jerusalem and say to the high priest and the religious elite, he went to shepherds. Staggering. The message of peace is an amazing thing. You think about the long, deep gulf between God and man. You have holy God set apart from sin. He's holy, so he's absent of evil. He's absent of sin. And you have us. <laughs> we're over here with a Grand Canyon between us. And, and we're stained. We have no ability to save ourselves. We can't reconcile ourselves. We can't justify ourselves. We can't sanctify ourselves. We're just stuck in our sin. And the angels say, here's what we're gonna do. We're coming to bring you a great message, a good news message full of great joy because God's gonna make peace with you and he's gonna take away your sins through this child who's gonna be born, raise a sinless life and die for you and I'm gonna end this gulf between you and them. Essentially, that's what they're telling them. Apostle Paul picked up in this way. He said this, Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified, declared righteous by faith, we now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. An amazing event. I'm finishing my read through the Bible. This year I'm in the middle of Revelations and in the Minor Prophets reading through and I'm reading about the angels who are dumping the bull judgments onto the earth. Judgment. It's pouring them out. They're, they're incredible beings. Incredible strength that God has given them to carry out his judgments. And yet, 
in that you see destruction and all this comes to those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But in this message here on this hillside with nobodies, they are beaming with joy. They're beaming with the glory of God saying he's bringing peace to those who will believe. It's amazing. Same angels. God did that for us. That little angel you stuck on the top of your tree, I'm not sure why we put them there, but um, those angels, that rep, they're, they're in the presence of God, continually worshiping him. Continue, uh, Psalms 103 says they are at his, in a sense in the Hebrew, they're at his beck and call, whatever he says they do, just instantly. This is what our Lord sent to tell us of the birth. Third, the shepherds preached a clear message given to them. These guys are amazing. I know you'll hear people that'll say, well, Christmas really shouldn't be at this time of year. It should be in the spring. First of all, somehow they're missing the glory of Christ and they want to argue with you about a date. You know they have not centered their thoughts on Jesus when they do that. Second of all, there are always sheep close to the temple. So there had to be shepherds. So it could very well have been at this time. So don't go down that trail. I like these guys. They take care of livestock, so they have a little better notch in my book. They're probably very lowly paid. I ran cattle for a living for a while, and then there were the sheep guys. <laughs> They're given beef jerky, a bottle of wine, and a little trailer and sent out to Gerlach, Nevada. <laughs> and they live out there for six months with the sheep. I know these guys. I've met them. Many of them are Basque. They're, they're great cooks. Um, but they're nobodies, even to this day. I think what God is teaching us is he comes to the humble. And if you're saved in this room, the only reason you're saved is because God humbled you. You did not come to God and say, choose me, you need me on your team. You're not saved. You're saved when you bow the knee and you say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you. Will you save me? And I think it's a picture of what God does and he comes to these men and, and look how they receive the message. There's no argument like, well, did that really happen? Oh, do you, th you really wanna walk at night all the way to go see possibly this child's there? No, look at verse 15. Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord, look at, Yahweh has made known to us. Isn't that fascinating? No questions. Well, you know, there's an argument of whether he's really gonna be born this time of year. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Verse 16, and they hurried. They hurried. When you hear the gospel, hurry to it. This is what they did. And they made their way to Mary and Joseph and the babe. And he was lying in a manger just like the angel said. 
Can you imagine them? Stumbling into town, it's dark, you're coming through the night, and here they are. And you, you've heard angels reflecting the glory of God. You know they've been in the presence of God, sent right from God to tell you this. And you come, and they're in a barn. It doesn't affect them, though. It doesn't affect them. When, when people believe, when you have faith, when you know who Jesus is, it doesn't, it doesn't affect you when things come along. Verse 17, and when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this Christ, very purposeful statement, this Messiah, the sent one. Now, it added, it added truth to what Joseph and Mary were told. Verse 18, and, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherd. So they're, they're wrestling with this going, wow, okay, Gabriel told me this, Mary's saying, and Joseph says, an angel came to me in a dream and told me this, and, and, and now the baby's here, and, and here's these shepherds, they're telling us this too. And look at dear Mary, she says, I'm gonna treasure these things, I'm gonna ponder on these things. Notice, not in mind, just cerebral thinking, I, I'm taking these to heart. And I love verse 20 about these shepherd guys, man. Look at them. The shepherds went back glorified and praising God. This was an experience like none other. These guys are ragged probably. Got a little jerky in the back pocket. You're stuck out there with the sheep and you can't leave them because the wolves will eat them. They belong to somebody else. Elders, pastors, are we listening? You're working for the chief shepherd and most people don't understand what you're doing but you're out there with them. They go back to these sheep and they're praising God for all that they, look at this, all they heard and they seen just has had been told them. So they take a message given to them and they accept it, period. Don't you want to meet these guys someday? What was that night like? Did the sheep get startled? <laughs> what, what? How did that go down? Four, how about the Magi? The Magi come not just to a king, but to Christ. Look at, back with me at Matthew chapter two. Clearly in the text, we realize that this is probably sometime anywhere, most theologians believe anywhere from six months to two years Later in comes the Magi, and I don't have time to read through this entire story, but you know what happens. They're following a star. These are men most likely greatly affected by the writings of Daniel. Possibly were, were handed down for men who served with Daniel in the courts of three kingdoms that the nation was in captive to. This is truths being passed down. These men are following truths from the Old Testament. And they, they're coming to find this king. Unfortunately, there's a man who's ruling the area called Herod. An absolutely godless, wicked, full of himself man. He is so full of himself, he invited his entire family to a banquet to honor them, he told them, closed the doors and had their guards kill every one of them because he was absolutely crazy thinking someone was gonna take his kingdom from him. The message doesn't go over big with him, he's a liar. He tells him, look, 
go find this one and come back and tell me where he's at. His lie is so bad, so I, verse eight, so I can go and worship him too. It's paranoid. But these magi know that this is more than just the king of the Jews. They know he is the Christ. And when they find him in the house, they come in, verse 11, and they see the child should be capitalized in your Bible. He's with mom, he's with Mary. And they immediately hit the deck in his presence. Now, certainly when kings have children, they have been worshiped. You can find this throughout history. But there's unique worship that goes here because it's tied throughout the context to the Messiah, to the Christ, to something that has been prophesied 600 years before this. And they've been watching for the star. And they follow it here and they give tremendous gifts. One of the things we were talking in our home group on Sunday is the gifts, gold, this reference to kingdom. He's a king, he's to be honored with gold frankincense for royalty, and myrrh for death. What they covered the body with when they buried them. God being very sovereign in all that he does, this young couple, probably not too tied into the family business so much anymore, needed money. Soon in the next passage, they're gonna have to flee because Herod's gonna start killing all the boy children from two down. And God gives them this gift. But these men were looking for the Messiah, the sent one of God. Not just a king, they're looking for the king, the sent one from God. And they're a fascinating story. Let me get to my last point here because this is why I want to spend the rest of my time. The scripture gives us no other reason for Christmas other than to worship Jesus. The scripture gives us no other reason for Christmas other than to worship Jesus. The only tree you find in the scripture is one he was nailed on. If you're looking for blood, red colors, they're in his blood. The Bible is about Christ when it comes to Christmas. I got thinking of things that we wouldn't have, and this is far short from being a complete list. Maybe you can share some other thoughts with me later. But if Jesus wasn't born, if the scriptures weren't true, if if Christmas isn't about Jesus, then there's a lot of things we don't have. They wouldn't write in Congress, and they would never say, this is the year of our Lord, 2014. They would say, this is the year of whoever. There wouldn't be a single Christmas carol saying, We wouldn't sing that beautiful song, Mary, Did You Know? That wouldn't be around. If this isn't true, if this didn't happen, we wouldn't sing the Handel's Messiah and hear that sung. There would be no cities called San Juan Batista because John the Baptist wouldn't have had a job to do. There wouldn't be Santa Maria down the coast because Mary wouldn't have given birth to Jesus. You wouldn't have early church fathers like Augustine and Tyndale and Whitcliffe and Knox and Luther and Calvin and Wesley and Huss. You wouldn't have 
beautiful people like Billy Graham and Elizabeth Elliot, Corey Ten Boon, and writers like Fanny Crosby who wrote so many hymns they had to give her different names because she wrote so many about seeing Jesus. You wouldn't have the C.S. Lewis's. You wouldn't have missionaries like Mark Christopher and Amish Emery and Scott and Anna Conival and Neil Sanchez and Compassion for Congo. Those wouldn't do, what would they be doing? Only humanitarian would they, but no message for eternal life. Wouldn't have modern day preachers like MacArthur and Pipers and pastor elders like Jeff and Ted and Ron and Steve. You wouldn't have these men. They wouldn't be shepherding because there is no church of Christ. There isn't Christ's church on earth. There isn't, that isn't there because he's not here. Man's simply just gonna perish for eternity. Think of our life. We, we have Bible schools and colleges, places called the Salvation Army. <laughs> no bell ringers at Target. If Christ doesn't come, there's no great books to read, The Hiding Place, Christ-Centered Life, Our Sufficiency in Christ, Seeing and Savoring Jesus. A million other books have been written on our Savior. At Thanksgiving, you're not gonna watch Ben-Hur and the Ten Commandments. Christ isn't here. No modern movies like Narnia and Fireproof. Those are all go away. Our great hymns that we love to sing, a mighty fortress is our God, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Fairest Lord Jesus in Christ alone, he is mighty to save, blessed is the one, glorious Christ, joy to the world and hark, to, hark the angels, hark the herald angels sing. And Luther's own hymn, Away in a Manger. We never have that if he doesn't come. Think of some of the idioms that we have because of Christ that we hear in our everyday language. Be a good Samaritan. You would not have that story if Christ was not born. The prodigal son, the lost sheep, pearls before swine, the wise builder, and any other of the parables that Jesus spoke because he was not on the earth. All men perish and go to hell. You don't have teachings that enter our everyday speech such as turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, do unto others as, they have, as you would have them do to you, love your enemies. Those all go away because they were all said by Jesus in his ministry. Think about our own nation just a little bit, the effects of not having Christmas tied to scriptures and the truth of what we understand that took place you don't have pilgrims seeking religious freedom. We don't have a nation that founded its principles on Judeo-Christian writings. Instead of George Washington, you may have King George as the head of the new land. It changes everything. Grace Bible Church is not here if Christ is not born. And countless thousands of ministries around the world are not here. Think about missionary work. If Christ is not born, tribes are not one to Christ. They go to hell sacrificing their daughters into volcanoes and cannibalizing their neighbors. 
because no one went to them with the message of Jesus. The New Testament's never been written. You have no New Testament. All you have is a law that you can't keep and you will fail in and you will perish in if Jesus doesn't come. And worst of all, I wrote this in my notes, there would be no mediator between God and man for the man Christ Jesus would not have been born, we would remain dead in the trespasses and sin and the veil would never be torn. See, his humanity is so important to our salvation because you can't kill God. He had to take on humanity so he would die, hang on that cross. His blood would be shed for the remissions of our sins, covered, wiped out. God would be propitiated. He'd be satisfied with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I would have now direct entry into the throne room of God because of what he did. But if he doesn't come, we go to hell. See, Christmas is Christmas because of the scriptures. We don't have it outside of that. The scriptures give us and teach us to know the reason for Christmas and how to worship Jesus. Let me give you verses here, just rapid fire verses that you may not think they're Christmas verses, but listen for him coming in these verses. Hebrews chapter two, 14 and 15. Therefore, since the, the children, that's you and I, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had power over death, that's Satan, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. That's a Christmas verse. Let me give you another one, John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus said this, I came, there it is, Christmas verse, that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Christmas verse, John 10, 10. Put it on your card next year. Mark chapter two, verse 17. It is not those who are healthy who think they've, they're good enough for God who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come, Christmas verse, to call righteous, but to call sinners. Put it on your Christmas card. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come. Christmas verse to seek and to save that which is lost. Put it on your Christmas card. First John 3, 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now listen to this Christmas card. The Son of God appeared for these purposes to destroy the works of the devil. Boy, that's a great Christmas card right there. <laughs> Send that to your atheist neighbor. He's come to wipe out Satan's works so you can be in eternity. I got hundreds of them. Let me go with one more. John, 1 John 4, 9, Christmas card here. But by this, the love of God was manifest in us that God has sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Oh, Christmas card all over that one. He's come so we can live. So, Conclusion, the scriptures and Christmas are the same. Both are telling you that we could never get to heaven on our own. God had to come for you. That's the message of Christmas. 
Christmas is telling you you couldn't get to God on your own. He had to come to us. That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is. That's what makes us sing and be full of joy and behold our God because we see him in the manger. I, I pray this morning that the realization of the true Christmas will sweep over us like a warm blanket. And you realize he had to be born, so he had to die, so we could be in the presence of God for eternity. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for Christmas. It's so lined out in the scriptures of what it is, Lord. Do not, Lord, let us be robbed by Satan's world of what Christmas is. We want to behold our God, whether we see him in the manger or we see him on the cross or we see him resurrected or we see him at the right hand of God the Father. We want to behold our God. So help us, Lord. We're surrounded by a world that doesn't see that. But we do. So we believe the scriptures and we believe that you're telling us that Christmas is about God coming to earth so we could go to him. So Lord, help us remember those today. Give us much joy, Lord. Let us sing with all our voices now. Behold our God. In Jesus' name, amen.